What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are going to turn our attention now to a six-part series published by nonprofit newsroom Cal Matters about how California treats people with mental health diagnoses. The latest piece in this series is called Mentally Ill Prisoners in California are three times likelier to get shuffled around, and it describes some of the ways that mentally ill prisoners are treated inside of our state's prison system. We are joined by one of the contributors to that report, Berhanda Lyons. Good morning. Good morning, Kat. How are you? All things considered, I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Brenda, from your research, you found that people in what's referred to as the prison's quote-unquote enhanced mental health program averaged five moves during the same time period that people in the general prison population were transferred just 1.5 times. Can you describe the process? What does it actually look like for folks with mental health needs who are locked up, and how does the prison system justify that many transfers? Yes, so the Department of Corrections Mental Health Services System is designed to get people the kind of care that they need um, as people's needs increase or decrease. They have to move around the prison system to go to whatever doctors or get the kind of support that they need. So that's how the system is designed. One thing that was interesting to us is we got this story tip because of a young man who had moved 39 times in 48 months. And at the time, that was really alarming to us. And the more we dug, the more we realized that this is how the system works. And um, advocates say that this can be disruptive to people who are very vulnerable. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about Adam Collar's experience in in just a moment. I was struck by this this term though, uh, enhanced mental health program. What does that mean, and how is that different from other mental health designations for folks inside of CDCR? Yes, so um, there's a mental health. If you basic mental health care is the first tier, and then from there, which includes um, meeting a therapist, I think once every ninety days or so. It's it's more hands-off. And then the next step is enhanced outpatient, where people have to um, have therapy more, they um, see a doctor more often, they may be housed in, um, in a segregated unit, um, although they interact with people. And then from there, you can go up to a mental health crisis bed. From there, you can go to a mental hospital or even a state hospital. So it's really designed to address mental health care at these different tiers. Now, one thing about that, though, is that as people get sicker or get better, they may um, go somewhere without stabilizing enough and, you know, go step down in the program, and then maybe they're not stable enough, then they're going back to a mental health crisis bed, then they're going back to, to enhanced outpatient, then they're going back to maybe a mental health um, hospital. So it's really it, it's really designed that way, and um, depending on what you need, you can move around dozens of times in a year. I mean, and, and not for nothing, Berhanda Lyons, and, and, and my my listeners aren't going to be surprised that I point this out. The longer you stay incarcerated inside of some of the most violent institutions in the world, the worse your mental health is likely going to get. Correct, and. I think one of the things that's notable in this is that 
Um, as people get sicker, you know, they may act out. Um, they may, you know, attack a guard or, or, or become violent. And, and a lot of that stems from their mental health condition. So someone's security level may change and, and the root cause may be their mental health. Um, and that's something that we saw in Adam Collier's case. Talk to, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the Coleman federal lawsuit that dictates uh, California prison mental health treatment policies. Yes. So um, the Coleman case has been ongoing for decades, and essentially, what it did was it 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 forced the state to implement certain practices, and the state is overseen by a special master. So. Uh, well, overseen by the court, and the special master does reports to see if the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is actually doing or following their own rules and regulations in terms of how to treat mental health care. So the Coleman case, which is still ongoing, um, is where you can find out exactly how the state is implementing its policies and delivering mental health services to people who are incarcerated. Special master. That's an interesting uh, title, uh, considering prisons are one of the only places that slavery still exists in this country. Um, your article states that some people defending the prison system think that transferring people with mental health needs actually shows the system is working and that people are getting the care that they need. Can you help my listeners understand this argument? Yes. So we spoke with um, people, in, uh, employees of the Department of Corrections, and even some um, advocates who said that, you know, because people are getting uh, sicker or getting better and they're moving in and out of the specialized units or to a different prison that offers a specialized care, then that means that the system is actually working because as people's needs change, they can go to a place to accommodate their specific needs and challenges. Um, and that was an interesting perspective. I think um, as we, you know, covered this story, it, it became this question of, well, does the public really understand how mental health, mental health care inside CDCR works? And, you know, the Department of Corrections likened it to how a community-based setting in that as people get sick or their levels change, they might be in a hospital or then they might be at home care or they might have to go to a state hospital. So there are some similarities in, in how community-based mental health treatment is and also how CDCR treatment is. I mean, but also people who are incarcerated, you know, they don't have the agency that the, the um, people who are not incarcerated have. Well, then last I checked in community-based mental health care, people weren't stuck in the shoe for 23 out of 24 hours a day as a way to control their the behavior uh, uh, attached to their mental health diagnosis. But I digress. Um, the piece that was published yesterday is a follow-up to another article you worked on from June. Can you walk us through some of the updates uh, uh, in this latest piece since the original article was published? Yes. So the original article dealt with um, Adam Collier, who was I, I mentioned was moved multiple times, 39 times in 48 months uh, while he was incarcerated. Uh, and he ended up um, killing himself, unfortunately. And his, his parents uh, are suing uh, the state now. Uh, the lawsuit 
is still in discovery, is in discovery now. Um, however, uh, it will probably take years before that case is decided. And um, Collier's parents or his mother is alleging that um, the prison guards failed to monitor him and acted with deliberate indifference. Um, in court documents, the state's argument is that um, the guards were not aware of Collier's mental health or his suicide, multiple suicide attempts. And so that's winding its way through the court system now. And that, that case could take years and years to, Correct. Correct. to address. Yeah. But it's interesting, yeah. since we've um, published this story, I've heard from other family members who have people who are incarcerated currently who are going through the exact same experience. Or I don't want to That's say the exact same, but they're moving around a lot, similar to Adam's. Yeah, Amber Honda lines, that's actually a question I want to ask you. I mean, it, you know, in addition to, of course, the the, the horrific uh, experience of M. Collier's family, what are the other M impacts on family members who have loved ones inside of the state prison system that are moved so much? How does that make supporting an incarcerated loved one that much more difficult? Yes, so in speaking with parents um, or, or family members, I've heard that, you know, in some ways it's gripping because, the families that I've spoken with, they get up every day and they look online to see where their, their loved one is. Um, it's hard to get in contact with them. Um, and, you know, as people move around, we spoke to family members and we spoke to some incarcerated people who've had this experience or, or who are having this experience. And they mentioned that as they move around, you know, they lose their things, they, their items can be misplaced. Um, and so, you know, that's an interesting perspective in terms of, as advocates say, this can be destabilizing. That would be me with the mute button. Sorry. Brahanda Lyons, <laughs> we've got to leave it there. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we will continue to uh, track the great work y'all are doing over there at Cal Matters. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>